0: So I discovered a new poet this year. Her name's Maggie Smith, and she's famous for a poem that went viral in 2016 called Good Bones, which I recommend you look up. I also learned she's internet famous for inspiring a mountain goat song by another poem she wrote, but she published a book this year, um, and it was a set of poems or affirmations that were in response to Some of the most difficult years of her life, when she was trying to, uh, not trying, but getting through a divorce, she had suffered some uh, miscarriages, and it's called Keep Moving. It says, Notes on Loss, Creativity, and Change. Um, One of them that I like from there says, Tell yourself kinder truths. You are not failing at life, you are reeling, sure, but you are succeeding at surviving. So I highly recommend. It seems like the perfect poetry for 2020 of any year. And it reminded me, discovering somebody knew just how helpful poetry can be. Now, I preached on it a few months ago about how reading the poetry in Scripture can uh, inspire us and uh, affect our moods. And I asked church members to read some of the most beautiful passages in Scripture so we could hear them again. And I realized that almost every Advent season starts with the poetry of the prophets. And today we start with Isaiah. So, just a little history on Isaiah. Most scholars believe that Isaiah was written by three separate writers. um, And the first 39 chapters were written around the time before the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom, and that writer lived in the southern kingdom. And the prophet at that time warned against complacency and the corruption that he saw among God's people and probably lots of other places. And then right after that, they got invaded by the Babylonians and were forced into exile. And that exile was the context for chapters 40 through 55. And then they were returned to their homeland in order to rebuild. And that's the third part of Isaiah, found in chapters 56 through 66. And what I loved is Brian McLaren described it. All of those experiences together created a rich recipe for hope. It created poetry. The, pro- the prophets didn't write this way it, when things were easy and simple or when people were everybody being, everyone was being faithful. They were inspired when they were struggling the most. Because poetry helps give us a bigger vision than we can give to ourselves when we need help. That it can present a picture that we're not able to see as clearly. So we start every Advent with the prophets so that we are given a vision to carry us all the way through the season of Advent. So we start with Isaiah. We start in the second chapter where it says, The word of Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains, And shall be raised above the hills, all the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction in the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. So obviously one of the most evocative images from this passage is, has to be the beating swords into plowshares, Right? That image has inspired art. There's a statue of it in front of the United Nations. There are actual organizations that literally turn military vehicles into farm machinery and other ones that have this name where they've turned nuclear weapons into nuclear energy. They've taken it quite literally. But the writer of Isaiah wants us to be aware and understand those who are listening to this passage that using a plowshare isn't gonna be like working with a sword. It's going to be a radically different, transformed experience. Because when I thought about it, working with a sword is very quick, it's very decisive, pretty much ends the conversation immediately, it's a vision of one side winning and one side either dead or too weak to respond, that living by the sword is about protecting ourselves, even if that means others suffering, suffering by violence. And in the world that we live in, we cannot imagine there not being violence or that safety wouldn't involve violence. But Isaiah is trying to point out that that is not going to be a part of the vision of God's reign. It will be unimaginable to us. And so the prophet is trying to give us this vision of God's reign. Because this first Sunday is a Sunday of hope. And the prophet is trying to offer us hope in this poetry they know how much we need it when we're struggling and when things are really hard when things were really hard for the people then they said the reign of God is coming and it's not going to look like anything looks like today the way things currently are it won't be the ways of the sword it will be a vision where God is in charge and everything is different And this reign is not even of a king or a ruler, but of a judge, of someone who knows how to mediate and arbitrate and work things out in fair and just ways, which is a radical transformation. And the sword being beat into a plowshare is a radical transformation. Not only is the original purpose of it completely removed entirely, but then it's transformed into a new tool for an entirely different purpose. And as much as the sword was quick, the plowshare is the exact opposite. Plowshares are slow. Plowing is slow. It's methodical. And if you try to do it quickly, it's just going to cause problems. You're going to run into rocks. You're going to plow where you don't want to plow. It's, it's got to be intentional work. It's often communal work. As Chad mentioned last week in worship, we're planting a garden here he would probably say it's been slow work. (laughs) It's taken a lot of years to get us to this point. Years of planning, years of finding the right people, the right team with the right experience, with the right vision to see what it could be, what we could plant here. It took time to get the resources generously donated by Barbara Maxwell, a faithful member who has passed away, but someone who I realized had a prophet-sized vision for this church, who had heard God's vision of hope and God's reign when she invested in this church and believed in the work that we would do in the future that she might never see. But she knew that we could We could build and we could share, and we here at First Christian Church could be even a small part of the radical transformation and build a piece of God's reign here and now on earth. With a garden, with a blessing box transforming empty bellies into full ones, with the garden feeding people's bodies with what we produce and their souls by working in that garden. I know I've mentioned it before, but it reminded me again of the book I'm reading called A Well-Gardened Mind. And the whole book is about the psychological benefits of gardening and of being outside and being in nature and how much that deeply helps our mental health. And I thought about it. I don't know anybody who has ever said, you know, violence and life by the sword, great for my mental health. Great for my mental health. Not one person. The prophets remind us that God knows what we need for a good life, for an abundant life, for a peace-filled, faithful life. And he says it's going to come from plowshares, from slow, communal work based around the good for all, for many, not just for some. So what does that look like? Well, there was a story from decades ago when the Special Olympics were in Seattle, and there was a 100-yard dash, and there were nine uh, people running in it, and all nine of them assembled at the starting line. And at the sound of the gun, they all took off and started running, except for one little boy who stumbled and fell and hurt his knee and did what you do when you fall and hurt your knee, started crying. And some of the other children heard him crying, and they slowed down, and they turned around. And they, went, they saw him, and they ran back to him, They ran back to him, and one little girl kissed his knee and said, this will make it better. And the little boy got up and the rest of the runners linked their arms together and started heading towards the finish line. Now, there was one runner who didn't stop and just kept going and crossed the runner's line and won. But when this group finished together, every person in the stadium stood up immediately, began applauding and whistling and cheering, and it just went on and on and on. And one time when Mr. Rogers was telling this story, he said, we keep telling the story because deep down we know that what matters in life is much more than winning for ourselves. What really matters is helping others win too, even if it means slowing down and changing our course now and then. And he says, but it it didn't just happen back then, it's still happening now. One of the places I I saw closer to home where that was happening and in the middle of the pandemic, I don't know if any of you watched Top Chef, Mark and I are big fans, but Top Chef contestant Edward Lee, who's a Louisville chef locally, launched the Lee Initiative, helping revive restaurants and mend the food supply chain with its Restaurant Reboot Relief Program. I've practiced that a bunch of times. (laughs) The organization's committed to giving at least $1 million to purchase food from sustainable farms in 16 regions and donate that food directly to restaurants. That by investing in the farmers, the organization hopes to help farmers and restaurants continue to rebuild together. Then they started the Restaurant Workers Relief Program, which provided 400,000 pounds of meals and supplies to out-of-work restaurant employees who are suffering. And then just recently, he announced that the Lee Initiative will hire 50 cooks who have been out of work due to the pandemic and they will use the Churchill Downs Kitchen to prepare 8,000 boxed meals a week, each box feeding a family of four that will go to Jefferson County Public School families who would otherwise go without dinner. What I love about it is it wasn't just about protecting his restaurants, but about the whole culture that had shaped and formed him, and not just the people at the top, but also the people at every level, and then, of course, the children and the families in his own community. Normally, this is where I'd ask for an amen. (laughs) It's still happening. It's still being built. It's about the slow, intentional work of a garden where there's plowing and planting and seeding and weeding and eventually harvesting what will start to look like the reign of God. The whole story of the Bible starts in a garden and it ends in a garden. It's almost like God wants us to grow things together. God wants us to produce fruits of the spirit, fruits of a good vine, and we're waiting for the one who's going to show us how, who's going to be born unto us. It makes so much sense that so many of his teachings and parables were about seeds and vineyards and harvests. He's going to show us the seeds we need to plant in ourself and in the world. And we'll start to create a garden of hope. That almost sounds like poetry, almost. So we read the prophets, we listen to the poetry, to help us remember the vision of what we are working towards. And the even better news that ultimately it is up to God, not us, to do the impossible work, the work that happens in the dark of the earth, that God will be the one to solve these nation-sized problems that sound impossible to us, not with swords, but God will do it with peace and judgment. We'll plow hope into hopeless places. I believe Jesus and his followers quote Isaiah more than any other prophet so they can keep that vision of hope in front of them when things got hard. The work is hard right now. We are scared. We're uncertain. Broken systems are breaking in new ways. Working systems are being overburdened. Our essential workers are tired and overwhelmed. But as people of faith, As people who read prophets and poetry, we bring and remind ourselves that God is still in charge, that there is still a vision of hope beyond our imaginings, one beyond what we see as possible, that the poetry and the prophets remind us of the bigger picture, that poetry can be the seed that contains the most radical hope of all that this isn't it. This isn't all there is. It won't always be this hard. We really won't need our swords anymore. We won't need to protect ourselves because everyone will be fully protected so we can proclaim hope into this season more than ever before. As mazagi Smith put it, do not let loss Drain the color from everything. Open your eyes to the brilliance around you because it is still here.